Mini-episode 171 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to mini-episode number 171 of the FDH Lounge. We have a very special one for you here today. Delving once again into the world of music, which we have touched upon many different times in the past with this program, and always uh, to very special effect, and uh, that will be the case certainly again today. We have been very fortunate on the show to be able to have on a number of uh, gentlemen, and uh, most of them are actually uh, contemporaries of his uh, for, for what were uh, peak years uh, in their careers also. Uh, we, we, uh, this, is, this is a period of... Uh, music that, that we particularly love. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have four members of, uh, of Journey, uh, Greg Raleigh, Ross Valerie, Steve Smith, Steve Perry, a number of other contemporaries of this gentleman as well, Christopher Cross, John Anderson, John Oates, Rick Springfield, Jim Peterick. Uh, the one that really comes to mind is Jimmy Jameson uh, because he has done some uh, duet work with him. They recorded together, uh, I understand, uh, did some touring together, really did uh, some uh, some great things uh musically together and uh, of course each of them associated with a significant legacy in their own right uh jimmy jameson of course associated with his long stretch uh for the best years of uh survivor and uh, this gentleman today is associated with uh, certainly the peak years uh in addition to his own solo work associated with the peak years of toto i could only be speaking of the one and only bobby kimball and it's a pleasure to welcome to the fdh lounge bobby Good to have you on, sir. How are you today? I'm very good, sir. How are you? Oh, fine, thank you. Uh, what, a, what a pleasure to have you on with us and uh, get a chance to, uh, to hear about your career and everything that you've, uh, you've got going on to this very day. Uh, it's, it's interesting because, like I said, there, there are a number of uh, guys that uh, we have had on who uh, were, were big at the, uh, the, the very biggest point that uh, the total was. Uh, that, that's certainly a great, great period of music, that late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I heard you, in my there. brother. You, you were talking about all of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because, Bobby, I always look for uh, for similarities in these different things here. And uh, with our recent conversation with Ross Valerie, he was underlining about the roots of Journey with those guys having done a lot of session work. And I understand that as Toto came together, you were coming in from an existing band, but I understand that uh, you you were getting together with some of the biggest session players of the day, right? Yes, and I became a very, very big session player. Uh, actually, I was doing background vocals. Uh, the minute, the minute I, I, uh, I got together with Toto, David Page and I sang on, uh, on one of Diana Ross's albums. Uh, we, were, we were recording our first album in Studio 55, owned by Richard Perry, who was producing Diana Ross. And, uh, he needed some background vocals, so, uh, we were in the other studio. He just walked down the hall and got us, and we came down and we did background vocals on, on, um, on the album that she did in 1978. That's tremendous, uh, to be able to get to do that, uh, 
yourself. And, and you guys were bringing in some pretty big guys uh, behind you at, at different points, as I understand it. Uh, one, one of our, uh, one, one of our uh, cast members here with uh, the program is uh, not only a fan of uh, your group, but uh, the world's biggest fan of uh, Poco also. And uh, he pointed out to me about uh, oh, Timothy yeah. B. Schmidt being a part of some of your greatest work in the early 80s. Absolutely. Timothy is, is unbelievably talented. Uh, I, I, he did a tour with us while he was out of the Eagles. Uh, uh, you know, he, uh, the Poco had broken up, and he went with the Eagles, and then the Eagles broke up, and, and uh, he was he was kind of on the loose just for a moment. And uh, we were going out to do a tour, and, and uh, he joined us for that tour. And, oh, my God, he's, he's such a wonderful person, number one, but he, he's, he's so talented. And that was really, a, you know, a, a common denominator with that group, wasn't it? I mean, you, you talk about all the all the great session players that were involved as, as this thing came together, but it really seems like just one of those kind of magical uh, meetings here, uh, you know, when, when the group got together, uh, because uh, the, the talent level of everybody in the group was so renowned. Yes. Actually, um, David Page had just uh, had, had uh, co-written the, the Silk Degrees album with uh, Boss Gags. And mm-hmm. basically, basically, uh, you know, David Hungate, the original bass player with Toto, uh, Jeff Picoro and David Page were, were on the Silk Degrees album. And, um, anyhow, after that album, they decided that Je- Jeff and David, Jeff and David were the, the headliners of Toto. They are the ones that, that decided to put the band together. They named the band. They did everything. Uh, and, after the band was together, Jeff pretty much was the last word on, on uh, every decision, and he was a very, very intelligent guy. And all of his decisions pretty much uh, are the, the very thing that, that brought Toto to the level they went to. It, it's interesting, yeah, that uh, in, a lot of times in a band uh, there there is uh, a, a strong man there uh, taking the reins and uh, making the very uh, tough decisions and uh, it, it had to be an increasingly uh, rewarding path to be going down here as, as you're moving through uh, the late 70s and, uh, you know, getting into uh, the early 80s here and, and, and moving towards that, uh, that peak period with the band. As, as you were building towards uh, Turn Back and everything subsequently, uh, Toto 4, as you were building towards that, what was the sense in the band of just getting towards this enormous uh, commercial peak and, and really having the world uh, discover and embrace you as they did. Well, okay, let's let's get one thing straight. There was no sense in the band. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, actually, everybody was, you know, everyone was uh, pretty much uh, ha- having a great time, but everyone was also still working on other people's uh, music. You know. Okay. We, and so was I. Uh, after after that session, David Page and I sang background vocals for Dana, Diana Ross. All of a sudden, I met I met one of my best friends, Bill Champlin. Uh, Bill Champlin played keyboard and sang with Chicago for 28 years, and mm-hmm. he he's one of my favorite musicians in the world and one of my best friends. But uh, he co-wrote uh, After the Love Is Gone. That uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire did, and he co-wrote "Turn Your Love Around." Uh, George Benson won a Grammy on, and anyhow, uh, Bill and Michael McDonald and myself became a background vocal trio, 
uh, around 1979. And practically everyone who was doing an album then, they didn't have Pro Tools or anything, any of the mechanical devices that they use these days uh, to to place background vocals on without anyone singing. (laughs) So, and the the thing is, is all the background vocals basically were uh, triple tracked. Every, every note that you listen to on a background vocal was, was sung three times on each chorus. You know, so, uh, we, we basically had to sing each chorus three times and record it perfectly. And then you couldn't, you couldn't cut and paste that into another course like people do now with Pro Tools. We had mm-hmm. to go to the next course and and uh, do it, you know, <laughs> it had to be triple tracked there, and then the outro had to be triple tracked, and then we would all get out there and, and do, uh, you know, little scat vocals on the end. It, it was super fun working with those guys. And the thing is, is we were a trio, basically, and uh, sometimes Michael wasn't available, so uh, Tom Kelly, who is also a really fantastic singer, is very, very similar to Timothy B. Schmidt. But um, Tom Kelly and, and uh, Bill and myself, we also had a, a trio going. But any one of us that got a phone call to go and do background vocals on an album, uh, we would tell the, the guy producing, don't call anyone else. We'll bring the team. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a and team many, it is. Yeah. yeah that's tremendous talent time, there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> many times, you know, we, we would uh, we would go ahead and let the producer leave and just leave the engineer, and, and we would triple track the parts. We would write the parts, sing them, triple track them, and leave. And it was yeah. It was super fantastic singing with these guys because we – we absolutely had our our balance, you know. Michael, with with Michael and Bill and me, uh, I remember one day we were we were singing in Dablin Recording Studios, and uh, it's a huge recording room. And they, they can put an orchestra in there, and and uh, we were doing background vocals. And and Michael Michael sings very soft, and, and uh, he he was like about one half inch from the microphone. Bill was about eight feet behind Michael, and they there there was a, another room. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't totally closed off. You know, it was just a, a great big door. But uh, I was in the other room, <laughs> and the uh-huh. balance the balance was one hundred percent perfect. Oh, that that sounds that sounds amazing to be a fly on the wall and to be able to see the process of you guys uh, doing this. So. So your your point yeah. is well taken. So you were you were keeping pretty busy in in the studio with uh, with any number of projects here, and uh, you know having the uh, the great time to be able to work on these these other uh, amazing uh, things that were going forward. So as Toto was building towards uh, it, its peak there uh, in, in the early '80s, did it sort of catch you guys a little bit by surprise because you you were working on on so many different things here? Did you guys see it coming when you broke out uh, bigger, or was it kind of a surprise? Well, actually, after the Silk Degrees album, that, which won two Grammys, okay, mm-hmm. uh, this is basically kind of kind of why uh, David and Jeff got together and said, why don't we form our own band? And uh, actually, they were, they had talked to Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald about being lead vocalist. 
I had just uh, gotten out of uh, this group called SS Fools, and SS Fools was a band that I came from Louisiana to, to sing with. And the band was made up of three of the uh, the musicians from Three Dog Night Band. The, the singers had left Three Dog Night, and I got a call from a friend of mine who I played in a couple of bands with in Louisiana. And uh, he, he's a saxophone player. His name is John Smith. And uh, anyhow, he had moved to L.A. and, and uh, became friends with those guys from Three Dog Night. And when they when when the band broke up, the uh, the bass player Joe Shermie, Floyd Sneed, the drummer, and Michael Ossoff, the guitar player, decided they wanted to stay together. And John got with them to play sax. He, he was a sax player with the White Trash Band, Edgar Winters White Trash. And uh, uh-huh. John called me. I was on the road with my band down in, in Louisiana, and uh, he called me and asked if I would come out and sing. And I said, "But some guys from Three Dog Night? Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so, and, <laughs> And I kind of felt like, uh, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder in the beginning of, uh, you know, that song, Living in the City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, wow, skyscrapers and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I came out of a little 3,000-seater town right on the Texas border. I was living in Louisiana and uh, had a great band down there. I really, really loved it. But uh Anyhow, yes, I said, absolutely, I will come out and, and sing with you guys. And uh, the cool thing, uh, where I grew up, where I grew up in, in Louisiana, only 3,000 people right on the Texas border on Interstate 10. And um, <laughs> the thing about it is, is at the time, the drinking age in Texas was 21, and in Louisiana mm-hmm. it was 18. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, <laughs> they had 5,000-seater clubs lining that border and, and uh, several several 1,200 to 1,500-seater clubs. And uh, this is this is where I kind of, you know, I, I grew my roots down there. And I played all of those 5,000-seater clubs, and I thought 5,000 people was a regular audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't imagine playing to less than 5,000 people. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, you know, I came out and, and uh, we went on the road. We recorded for CBS Records with SS Fools, and uh, we went on the road. And actually, it wasn't that successful, but uh, at, at, our, uh, at our 20 rehearsals before this tour, Jeff Picaro and David Page attended a, about 10 of those rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is where I met Jeff and David. You know, uh, there I was playing keyboard and singing, and about four feet from me, sitting on the floor, uh, listening to the band, was the drummer from Steely Dan. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God! And standing right behind him was David Page, who had written the Silk Degrees album and, and produced it. And you know, it was just. It was a phenomenal thing to be playing, number one, with, with some of my heroes from Three Dog Night, and then to, to be meeting some of, you know, David and Jeff. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I, sometimes I couldn't catch the breath. It, <laughs> it sounds like phenomenal. an amazing experience. Oh, yeah. It, 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 sounds, it truly was. It, what, what, a, what an incredible world uh, this was uh, of that, uh, that time and place. It, uh, you, you, you had it uh, building towards 
the ultimate uh, peak there with, uh, with with Toto 4. And one of the questions that we always uh, pose on this show, you know, particularly with, with, with some of your friends that we've had on previously, Uh-oh. are you going to ask well, we always, what, I, what I have on? I'm going to keep my own perversion under wraps long enough, uh, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> that. It's a. We like to take people behind the curtain, help them understand the business even better, which really sounds redundant because you're breaking it down so well and telling such great stories of that time and place. But to give people an even better and more revealing look uh, at that, the whole concept that the public, I, I think, and that this is a recurring thing that we have talking with people, we've talked to people outside of music about this too, the notion of mailbox money, the notion of once you've hit it really, really big, that for the rest of your life, maybe it's not a huge train of gravy that's coming in, but that there will be residuals coming in to some degree. Most of the guests that we've had on have debunked that to, to some degree or another and said, yeah, it's, it's not quite what the public generally thinks. Do you fall in line with that, Bobby, or, or is it maybe a little closer to what some people think about the business? Well, actually, I am still getting paid, but um, uh, there, there's a, there are a few questions about whether it's correct uh, you know, I, I will be checking on that because I'm no longer with Toto. I have my own band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I um, I was out of Toto. Uh, I started in Toto uh, basically right at the end of of '77, and uh, we recorded in '78 and toured in '79. Uh, our first uh, we we hadn't actually played over two songs in a row when, you know, this is right before we were supposed to be touring. And uh, mm-hmm. so what we did is we went to um, to Kauai, uh, in, in Hawaii, because it's it's a fairly unpopulated island, and um, and we, pl- we stayed at the Kauai Resort Hotel for two weeks, and we mm-hmm. played we played in their uh, their nightclub, which is fairly large, but, uh, you know, you don't get seen by by the whole world out there. You know, it's just you know maybe maybe about uh, 300 people a night in there, and, and mm-hmm. uh, we were playing we were playing two one-hour sets per night so that we could we could get ourselves lined up for our set because uh, after two weeks we went to uh, Oahu and played Blaisdell Arena, which is a huge arena. And we were, we were the warm-up band. Uh, by the way, Hold the Line was number one there at the time. And um, uh, we were the warm-up band for two nights for Peter Frampton. Oh, okay. And Oh, yeah, Peter was fantastic. I, 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 still, I love Peter. He's still a really, really good friend of mine. And, and um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> the funny thing is that the guys in the band, you know, especially David and Jeff, they were walking the floor right before we went on stage. They were walking back and forth. Do you remember this? you remember that? remember this? <laughs> and and uh, this is our, our very, very first concert, okay? And uh, so, uh, anyhow, when we got on stage, I swear everyone was so, so hyped up. We could have probably gone up there without our instruments and played that set. <laughs> and so, oh my God! And the crowd went absolutely bananas. It was fantastic. And uh, so, uh, really, really a funny thing because the crowd was storming the stage by the end of the uh, the concert, our concert. 
And uh, then mm-hmm. we left the stage. And uh, Peter came walking on the first night with uh, an acoustic guitar, and they put a bench out there. The band didn't come on with him, you know. <laughs> and we had just <laughs> left the stage, and everyone was, you know, they they were standing on each other's shoulders. <laughs> it was it was insane. And uh, so Peter walked out with an acoustic guitar and started playing. I mean, he's a fantastic acoustic player and singer. But, uh, you know, the, the second night, he got the hint. <laughs> he brought the band on and started, started knocking them down right away. Uh, you know, he's a huge talent and a wonderful person. You know, I, I just love him to death. You know, I've done, I've done several things with him since then. But anyhow, the next five concerts Toto did, uh, after those first two with Peter Frampton, we warmed up five concerts for uh, Kenny Loggins. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and, and I think it was, it might have been the second to the last night. We were only doing a 45-minute set as a warm-up band for Kenny. And uh, uh, anyhow, uh, it, it was it was kind of a cool thing because they had talked to Michael McDonald and Kenny about being the lead vocalist of Toto. And Kenny was, you know, he was immersed in his own group, of course. And Michael was in the Doobie Brothers already, you know. And so they, they didn't want to leave uh, a successful thing like that. And at the at that point, I was basically uh, I was out of work for about six weeks because I had left mm-hmm. at the schools. And and um, so you know, they said definitely you got to be the guy, you know. So I said, well, definitely. I want to come in, so I did, and and uh, we we did five concerts warming up for Kenny Loggins for our that's our, that would be our first seven concerts, and uh, the second to the last concert they had they had some problems with uh, locating the uh, the microphones a few of the microphones uh, mm-hmm. on the board, and normally what happens when you warm up for a big artist like that. Uh, a famous artist like that, and and you're a new band. Uh, what happens is they just if if you uh, if you have to look through the, the electrical stuff for about thirty minutes, you only get a fifteen minute set. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they just cut you off, you know. And and uh, it took them about forty five minutes to locate the uh, the microphones in the board. Uh, you know, a lot of times things like that happen. And and um, so anyhow, for that 45 minutes, that was our whole set. And Kenny, he is such a nice, he's a wonderful person. He he's as he's as good a person as he he is a musician. You know, I just love uh-huh. him. And and uh, he walked out on the stage, and and uh, got on the microphone and said, "Ladies and gentlemen," he said, "This is a new band." He said, "I really really want him to." Uh, to do their thing and, and uh, entertain you and show them, uh, show you what uh, what they are all about. He said they're they're supposed to do a 45 minute set and it's taken that long to find to, to get all the equipment straight and everything. He says I'm going to let them do an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he came off stage. I gave him a big hug. I said thank you so much, man. <laughs> you know, because because a lot of times. Uh, the, the headliner band, most of them are jerks. 
Uh-huh. You know, they just want to do their thing. They don't care about the uh, the first band. So we, um, you know, we, we got out there and did our thing, and it, it was it was super fantastic. We ended up, uh, actually, Kenny's, uh, Kenny was finishing out his tour on our last gig together, and, and uh, uh, his crew, we hired half of his crew to go on the road with us. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons is uh, Kenny was out there singing, and and uh, his the, the the guy that was doing the drum tech, he was he was behind the drummer, and Kenny's microphone popped out of the uh, the little microphone holder mm-hmm. before it hit the floor. This guy dove and caught it about <laughs> three inches from the floor. <laughs> that's became, professionalism. <laughs> he became our drum tech, and you know we we had about uh, four of the guys that he was using as his, you know for his crew members. We brought them on the road with us, and oh my God, they were so incredible. We always had a wonderful crew with us, and that is very very important because they need to know every iota of everything you do, because that's how they set you up you know, to entertain. And the better you're the better you're set up, uh and just walk out there and start playing, the the better off uh the concert's gonna be. Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> you know? You, you you gotta have that kind of uh you know professionalism involved and, and everything. When you're talking about professionalism and talent, it, it's funny, uh Bobby, I, I was a little bit surprised when I forwarded you that email a couple days ago if you hadn't seen this previously, uh the uh, the Jay Z uh Africa uh, thing that was out there of uh, the, the mashup of your music. Uh, from what I can see on uh, on YouTube, uh, your music is fairly popular for mashups uh, these days. So, what what are your thoughts on uh, you know, folks significantly younger than myself who uh, weren't around at the time and enjoying it at the time, but discovering you in a new way today, possibly because maybe because of something they saw on YouTube or, or your music was uh, combined with something else. Well, I got to tell you, most of the time on the road, uh, you know, like I said, I was out of Toto in, in 1984. We started in '77, and I mm-hmm. was there till till '84. Then I moved to Europe, but uh, I was out of the band for quite a while, and, and uh, they had they had a few singers after me. But uh, honestly, I think they were always looking for me again. <laughs> yeah, and, I think uh, so. I, I actually never thought I would uh, I would go back with them. But um, in 1998, uh, they called me because they had they had fired that that last singer, and um, Steve Lukather went out and, and uh, did the tour, did the did the tour vocals, and uh, the thing about it is is you know he he can't do the the songs that I sing. Well, he can, but he he'd have to drop the key about quite a way. Sure, and. Um, uh, you know, the, those things are, are they're attached to me. <laughs> I still go out and do them with my band. But um, yes, any, anyhow, they asked me to come back in 1998, and we did a new album called Minefields, which I really love that album. And um, uh, when I came back, uh, it, I was with them for for ten more years, and then um, then the band kind of dissolved. In, in 2008, uh, we were we, our last concert was in Korea, in Seoul, Korea, and uh, Steve wanted to do 
uh, a solo band. Because basically, at that point of the game, Jeff Pecoro had died in 1992. It was, uh, it was from some, uh, Bug spray uh, for his roses. Mm-hmm. He was spraying. He was spraying it on his roses, and and it got all over him, and, and uh, it arrested his breathing. And I, I'm not sure, but I think he may have had a heart attack, and he died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. That was one of the greatest musical losses on this planet. Sure. He was so fantastic, and what a wonderful person he was. If if I hadn't known Jeff. You know, I had split up with my daughter's mom. She was only a year old at that time uh, when Toto was starting, and, and I'd split up with her, and, and I didn't want to make them homeless, so I gave them my house, and uh-huh. I was homeless. <laughs> so <laughs> Jeff came over. He put his arm around my shoulder and said, come on, bro. He said, he said, I know your problem well. He said, I got a guest room. He said, it's yours until you find a place, and he, w- he was just that kind of a nice guy. Uh-huh. He was super and, and uh, anyhow, that, that's when Toto got started and everything. And it, it was it was a wonderful thing to uh, to know Jeff. But uh, he passed away from from this bug spray. And um, then um, at uh, let's see, it was about uh, Steve Picaro had left the band after the uh, the Toto Four album. So did David Hungate, the, the original bass player, and Mike Picaro took took uh, David Hungate's place, and we all knew that eventually, someday, Mike Picaro was going to be the bass player with Toto, and we basically always had two Picaros in the band, you know, because when Steve left, uh, Mike came into the band, so it was Mike and Jeff <laughs> instead of Steve and Jeff, and uh, so at, uh, at some point there... During the um, the Falling In Between tour, which was the last studio album I did with uh, with Toto, and it was a really fantastic album, by the way. That that was an album we went into the studio with absolutely no songs, and the band we put the uh, the machine on to record. The band went in and jammed for about six hours. Uh-huh. And then Simon Phillips, who is an absolute genius on, on uh, recording and uh, you know mixing, and oh my God, he's 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 an unbelievable drummer too. But uh, anyhow, it was his studio, and so they would re- they would jam for a long time, and he would go in and and uh, go through uh, the the uh, the recording really fast, and mm-hmm. he would cut out he would cut out what he considered a verse. He would cut out what he considered a pre-chorus and a chorus and an outro out of all of that jamming. Okay. Uh, and then he would put it on a CD, hand it to me, and I would bring it home and uh, work all night from 16 to 18 hours on the lyrics and the melody mm-hmm. for that album. And uh, I thought it was a really fantastic album. Uh, if you haven't heard Falling In Between, you need to. <laughs> it, it is it is a great piece of work, certainly. Yeah. Well, and, and we didn't have any songs when we walked into the studio. You know, we 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 made it up on the spot. That's truly amazing, uh, Bobby. Just to have it come to you like that. That is a different kind of animal that can do things like that. 
It <laughs> really is. But um, so so anyhow, neither here nor there. Uh, in in the uh, for the tour of falling in between, uh, Mike Picaro started feeling some uh, some weirdness in his hands. Uh, he was having trouble holding his hand uh, against the base to uh, you know having muscular problems basically. Uh-huh. And uh, in in the middle of that tour. Uh, he he walked in and told us guys, I'm gonna have to get a substitute because I can't do this anymore. And because he he had no idea what the problem was, the doctors could not find out what the they they couldn't figure it out. They they were thinking mm-hmm. probably Lyme disease in the beginning, but uh, the final tally on that uh, after after so many tests and so many different doctors was Lou Gehrig's disease. He had ALS. Ooh. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, and I talked to him about uh, a little over a year ago, but, um, you know, I don't want to bother him, uh, and uh, I'm not sure what his condition is right at the moment. Uh, I know my my, uh, my daughter's grandmother had Lou Gehrig's disease. She lived for 23 years with it. Really? Wow. Yes. That's, 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 the, a, and, that's and a hell of a success story. Wow. Well, the norm is two to two and a half years, right? Before it arrests your ability to breathe. Sure. Yeah. And the other thing is, David Page was out on the, the falling in between tour, and and not very long after the tour started, you know, David had been trying to save his sister, who is his only living relative. Both of his parents had passed away, and he has no other relative, uh, no other mm-hmm. uh, family. Um, and his sister needed a double lung transplant. And I have to tell you, uh, I, I watched I watched a lot of that go down, and he was trying to fight that battle from the road. And, my friend, you cannot fight that battle from the road. You have to be no. on it every second of the day. And uh, so Dave decided to get a sub. We got we got Greg Fillingaines on keyboard, and on bass to replace Mike we had Leland Sklar. And I have to tell you, these are two of my favorite musicians in the world, and they're really really super nice people. Uh, Leland Leland started with James Taylor, and if you Google Leland Sklar, it's S K L A R. If you Google mm-hmm. his name, you're going to come up uh, on his uh, – you'll come up with, with at least three pages of people he's played with. Uh, <laughs> he played with Phil Collins. Uh, I mean, it, it's ridiculous the amount of people he's played with, but he is oh, just that's that talented. Yes, and we had a week off uh, when Mike decided that he wanted to get a sub, and – Man, our set was a mean, mean set. It was long and very, very tough. And and uh, we had sent Leland uh, a recording of the set. And uh, <laughs> about a week before, we sent him this recording of the set. And, and we came into L.A. We went into the, to Simon's studio and rehearsed with Leland. The first day he came down to rehearse with us, he made zero mistakes. <laughs> it 
was like nothing had changed. It, it may have improved. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's uh, a real pro right there. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same with Greg Phil and Gaines. You know, Greg Phil and Gaines was uh, Michael Jackson's uh, music director for ten years, and he has played with as many people as Leland Sklar. He's phenomenal. He's a really fantastic singer. Sings like Stevie Wonder, and and plays like God. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he can play things that you know other keyboard players can't even imagine. You know, I, I was on stage one night when David Page showed up at an L.A. gig and Greg was playing. He, he was playing mm-hmm. this uh, this solo, and and Dave and I were standing next to each other, and Dave was looking at him, and he looked at me and he says, "Nobody can do that." <laughs> <laughs> Where did this guy come from? <laughs> Truly amazing. I mean, you you you've been in such a universe of of, of great players uh, over the last couple of decades uh, here, uh, Bobby. It, it's it's an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. I it, it, in our time that we've had today, and we're up against it now. I feel like we've only really hit the tip of the iceberg. So I definitely would yeah, love well, to do this again sometime soon, Bobby, and uh, pick up where we left off and uh, hear some more. You got great a couple more seconds. You. you got a couple sure. more seconds. Okay, Absolutely. can I tell you about the Bobby Kimball band? Yes, yes, please do. Yeah, catch us up on uh, what's going on with that, please. Okay, the Bobby Kimball band is from Stockholm, Sweden, and the guitar player is a, a friend of mine since 1994. His name is Tommy Denander. That's D-E-N-A-N-D-E-R. Google mm-hmm. Tommy Denander, and you will see that he's done as many things and as many CDs and albums as Steve Lukather with some of the same artists. You know, he played with Michael Jackson. He played with everybody. I've uh, I've worked on two of his solo albums and uh, wrote a couple of songs with him for those. And he's phenomenal on the guitar, and he's such a wonderful person. He's one of my best friends. And uh, the drummer in that in our band is a guy named Pontius Ingberg. He's 31 years old and about the closest thing to Jeff Picaro as I've ever heard on stage. Wow. Yes. And, uh, you know, we got, we got, a, uh, I did, uh, I did 15 concerts in 14 days with these guys over in, in, uh, in Sweden during, uh, December of 2011. And, uh, uh the biggest newspaper there gave us a review. And the review, the headline on the review was the Bobby Kimball band, and right under that it's a Toto dash the way the music should sound. Nice. <laughs> that really, really freaked me out because I respect Toto to death. You know, I mean, sure. they'll always be my favorite band. You know. Oh, but I, that's got, great. That's great to be able to get put over like that. That's amazing. Yeah, well, everyone has has really, really come to the table on this one. You know, they they know the stuff so well, and not to mention, you know, we're going to record a CD, so it's it's going to be pretty phenomenal. Well, we'll be following and, everything that happens with that, uh, Bobby. And I know that uh, at your uh, your website, I believe it's BobbyKimble dot com, correct? It is. It is. Okay. And by the way, I, I have a personal app that uh, that's. You know, it's, it's being geared up right now, but it's a free download if anyone wants to. They can go to bobbykimmel.com and, and download the app. Okay. Excellent. We, we urge everybody to do that, and uh, I, I sincerely hope uh, that we can pick up where we left off sometime soon, uh, Bobby, because, again, this was as advertised. Such great stories from you. 
about a tremendous career in, in music over the decades. I know there's more that we can do. I, I look forward to that, uh, sir, and thank you so much for coming on with us today. Okay, well, let's just, let's just uh, leave this at we only covered about one-sixteenth of the information. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, we'll, we'll hit the next 15 sixteenths in a series of uh, segments to come. Why don't we leave it at that? <laughs> you got it, buddy, and, and let's do it real, real soon because – I have recordings of the band on the very first day they were in the same room. I'm going to digitize them, put them on my website. I have recordings of things you can't even believe from Toto in the very, very startup of the band. Wonderful. People need to hear this. You said sometime soon, from your lips to God's ears, we'll do it, Bobby. Thank you so much. Okay, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. The great Bobby Kimball, everybody. Thank you for joining us here today. FDH Lounge mini episode number 171.